We now return to our bringing light into darkness discussion on the nature of drone warfare with our very special guest, Nick Motern, as he discusses the most current use and greatest use of U.S. drones in Afghanistan. So you have to, you know, put yourself in the position of a person living a pretty primitive life by our standards, but, you know, a life that could be lived anyway. And then you hear this buzzing that can be constant in some areas, mm-hmm. and you know that people have already been killed, and so you know you're being watched all the time, and you know that at any moment you could be killed. Mm-hmm. And this is something that people in this country have no experience of whatsoever in the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a step back and let's talk about Daniel Hale. But before we do, I, I did want to mention that I was looking at the bandkillerdrones.org website and under the dangers tab one of the issues that your website speaks to is what's going on in Libya right now where both sides are using these drones and just the inaccountability of drones it seems like when you can wage war without putting into harm the operators of these weapons of warfare it seems like the evolution of this whole drone warfare, and you mentioned that it really exploded, I believe, under President Obama and, of course, continued under President Trump and will apparently be continuing into the future. But that the folks using these this drone warfare, it removes any potential type of casualty numbers of U.S. persons. And one of the things in the past, certainly in Vietnam, was the unacceptability by the American public, what catches their attention and what cannot be suppressed by informational bias are young men and women coming back in body bags. And so even though the war itself is unconscionable and immoral, and and I just can't help but share that what's being promoted is a racist mentality that somehow the lives, if they're not Americans, it's not nearly as bad. (laughs) You know, yet these people Mm -hmm. have parents, they have brothers, they have mothers, they have people that dearly love them just like we love our families and that is just kind of kept from the american public so with that being said before we turn to daniel hell can you just speak a little bit about what this new type of technology does in order to promote you know we've talked about some unjust wars already in, in this segment but it allows unjust wars to continue without the american casualties it would normally produce not that i'm in favor of u.s casualties but at the end of the day the impact on humanity is is a war crime that's just not i think resonating with the american public due to everything that we've been talking about can you comment on that well i i think that yes i i think you're absolutely right about the whole thing of body bags and i think that's human limitation of you know thinking about you know family first and of course that's right I think we have to look at a couple of other things. One is that the U.S. public has been systematically terrorized by the government about people in other countries, about the other. It's very racist what's going on even right now with all this drumbeating of war with China. You know, the Chinese are this. We're, we're shifting our attention of the CIA to China. All this kind of nonsense is really something that builds the basis of fear that enables uh, the government and the corporations to to carry forward in this way. And this is really a colonial adventure on the part of 
government and control of corporations. Mm-hmm. People have to realize that, but folks here are still living in a past mythology. The other part of this is that information about the, the truth of drone warfare and how many people are killed has been totally buried by the government. <laughs> I mean, it, it's astounding, really. This family that was killed, the, the government does not want to give them reparations. They're now just starting negotiations. They're not going to want to reveal how much money they give them. And part of that is because they don't want people in this country to know how extensive these casualties are, and they don't want people here to feel any consequences from this type of warfare. That is to say, they don't want people to feel they have to give any money even because these are not really people. And then so part of what's going on with these folks who were killed, I mean, their family, the ones who had family members killed, they're living under this, well, we don't, you know, Department of Defense doesn't give money away for this, and if they do, they don't give very much. And and then you have a person like Daniel Hale who was trying to tell the truth about this, and now he's been put into a federal prison where he'd be virtually in solitary confinement, being treated in, in the same way that dangerous criminals are, that, in fact, he'll, he'll, he's in prison now with people who have been charged with terrorism. And the big thing about this prison is it makes communication very, very difficult between him and the outside world, between him and his family, his friends, any of that. Mm-hmm. And and he, he's in there simply for telling the truth. And you're talking specifically about how Daniel Hale when you were convicted of a federal crime, there are different types of incarceration locations that you can go that are based on different levels of supervision and those types of things. And he could have been gone yeah. and should have gone to a low minimum security type of deal because he's not no threat. But instead, he went to this Marion prison, which is a supermax prison that was built in the early 1960s as a replacement for Alcatraz. And I think it's really important what you just said, and I think people need to understand that this no, this notorious communications management unit, they call it a CMU, at this maximum security penitentiary in Marion, where he's going to serve this 45-month sentence rather than this low-security prison at Butner, North Carolina, which is a, a prison hospital complex. In other words, here is a guy, Daniel Hale, that has suffered mentally, uh, he's even admitted it, to great trauma based on the fact that he's been responsible for killing innocents and has great uh, trauma associated with that. And this is where the federal judge, O'Grady, had recommended he go, but apparently that decision can be reversed by the Bureau of Prisons, which it was, and now he's in a place where he's in isolation. You know, this is what they're doing to Assange. You know, you can't see anybody, you can't see your own family, you cannot embrace them in in any form or fashion in this maximum security kind of deal. And ultimately, it sends an incredible message to anyone who's thinking about the revealing information from the U.S. government. That reveals U.S. government lies or embarrasses the U.S. government because it shows that it has so grossly misrepresented the truth to the American public or is just in the public interest of the U.S. public to hold its government in check and is information that does not otherwise compromise national security. So getting back to one of the most important issues here 
is that if I know my government is responsible for some, like, like let's say I was in the Nazi government and I knew that there was this horrific extermination campaign against Jews and I revealed that in that type of system, I could then be put into the supermax type of prison. And I don't mean to you know, make an equation here, but in, at the end of the day, these hundreds of thousands or millions of people are being are being haunted by these drones around these different areas that you're talking about. And when you reveal these crimes, because at the end of the day, please explain to us the drone killing campaign. When you talk about international law and rules of war, they have to be violations of rules of war because of their indiscriminate outcome of killing. Is that right? That's one of them, yes. There's also... The whole problem, you know, it's it's quite amazing, actually, about rules of war. I mean, it sounds so absurd, but one of the things, you know, that you're not supposed to do in attacking people is to use a force that is way out of proportion to what the objective is. Mm. Because of the whole idea of killing more people than you have to kill in order to get what you want, your your military objective. And so what you have, really, with the drone warfare is you have some few people on the ground that you're trying to kill or, to, you know, subdue. And then there's this monumental, really, structure of drone technology, warfare, satellite control, the drone pilots sit at consoles, you know, maybe other side of the world. They have a backup team of probably, I think it's about 150 people who are reviewing all kinds of video feed coming into their uh, control center, making judgments about who should be attacked, who shouldn't be attacked. So um, the whole issue then of having your forces not being vulnerable to an, an attack by the people that you're attacking is very problematic thing in terms of balance and fairness, if you want to put it that, in, in, in warfare. So, I mean, throughout history, uh, humans have wanted to get further and further away from their opponent rather than clash with uh, swords and spears. You know, then you lob something from a catapult and then you, you know, fire a gun and then you fire a cannon and then you get an airplane. And, and this kind of thing. But what we have here is a new kind of warfare where one side doesn't have to go anywhere near the enemy on, a, on any, uh, in any real way. And part of the problem that this Afghanistan war has, has had is that this kind of remote fighting has made the United States military feel that eventually they would overcome Afghan people who, who they view as very primitive being equipped only with uh, weapons and rocket launchers, this kind of thing. And so this war, if it weren't for drones, my opinion, this war would have been over much sooner than it has been without the loss of life in Afghanistan, but without the huge amount of money and loss of life. And, and, and we have to understand, too, that this idea of what casualties are for the, for the American military, you've had hundreds of thousands of people pass through Afghanistan, and many of these people, when they come home, they're yeah. not really fully what they were when they left. Mm -hmm. They're carrying many, many, many scars of all kinds. Mm -hmm. 
So this is not a war without cost because we don't see body bags. And that's how primitive the understanding is and and how people here have been educated. It's, it's, It's horrible, really, when you stop to think about the military now with professional, you know, soldiers, okay, they signed up for it. But we've never had wars before where you return somebody to combat time and again, time and again, two, three, four, five tours, maybe more. Mm-hmm. When those people are done with this, we're dealing with something pretty bad, and it's, I think it's unconstitutional, really, to have a separate category of people who are treated this way. And I think to your point, what you're talking about is the psychological trauma of seeing these IEDs blow off the legs and arms of many of our servicemen, too. And, uh, you know, so those people come back not as deaths. Many of them survive those things. But, of course, just even witnessing being in the same unit and the number of recommitments to these types of environments, war will permanently disfigure you in a psychological, irreversible way. And and I think that's a great point that you make to the American public, that knowledge is suppressed. I want to remind folks we're visiting with Nick Motern. He manages the nodrones.com website, which is devoted to education and organizing to stop drone warfare and surveillance. He was director of the 2012 National No Drones Tour and was an organizer of the 2013 April Days of Action and 2014 Spring Days of Action. He publishes the Drone Organizers Bulletin. He's also been an organizer of boycotting businesses that are involved in drone war, such as the Boycott and Divest Honeywell campaign that was part of that what was begun in 2014 because of the firm's involvement in drone war. Let me ask if we could shift back to Daniel Hale. I, I wanted to indicate, I think it's so important that people realize this choice that's been made to incarcerate him in a maximum security complex where in a minimum security, you might be able to watch TV and in this location in North Carolina and receive drug and alcohol counseling or speaking with a therapist. And in fact, that's what the judge's order was. But instead, you have an emotionally fragile Daniel Hale, who apparently has occasionally been suicidal and, and he needs this type of help. But Instead, he is in a six by 10 foot concrete steel cell. It has a steel bunk, a paper thin mattress, a small steel sink, and a steel toilet is described in this one article. On the days that he's allowed to exercise, which is only two or three times per week, he's led into a six by 10 foot outdoor cage where he can walk in circles for an hour or so. Uh, He's permitted just two showers per week and one phone call per month, but only to his attorney. And as we've already indicated, when visitors come, which are limited, there's a glass shield and there's just no contact, physical contact allowed. This is what has happened to Julian Assange. And we've seen this poor guy just demise in mental health. And they're killing these people. And this, this has to be a human rights violation when it comes to incarceration. We have just a few minutes left, uh, Nick, and I wanted you to maybe speak a little bit about Daniel Hale. I know he's from Tennessee and that he was in the Air Force, enlisted in 2009 and worked with the National Security Agency and also National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. But can you tell us a little bit more about his background and the fact of how 
he, like so many people, I think, enlist into the service these days over the past to escape poverty or, or untenable living conditions in our country. Can you tell us a little bit more about Daniel Hale and any more about the drone system that you think the American public and the listening public to this show should be aware of? Well, I, I think that as far as Daniel is concerned, I think his background was basically working class. I know that he worked in restaurants. No kind of, let's say, leg up the way a number of people do. And I also think that each of us has to think about if we watch people being killed in front of us, you know, on a television screen, and we know that we have had a hand in that, that's, I don't don't know, I've never had that experience. I've never shot, had to shoot at anyone or kill anyone. I've been in somewhat dangerous situations, but I've never had direct, you know, responsibility for that. And that's a very heavy thing to to bear. Edward Snowden, one of the things that made him want to release the papers that he released was that he witnessed U.S. drone attacks, and and he understood very well what was his role in just the intelligence part of it. And, you know, most of us might want to eat a hamburger, but I don't know if many of us want to go kill a steer and have that feeling of taking that life, you know. And you've got a situation where if you are living a life that's so abstracted from these kind of realities and so unwilling to think and feel about these realities, you have to ask how alive you are, how real is your life if you can't engage in that kind of imagination and empathy for people mm-hmm. and try to to save lives. And the other thing I want to say is, and so just like Daniel Hale is in prison because he's an empathetic, caring human being who couldn't kill off unpleasant thoughts and, and make it seem like it, it really wasn't happening. The other part of this is the idea of remote control killing is very, very appealing, obviously, to the general public in this country, not being on the receiving end of it. And so what we're moving into is a time when this is going to be the central feature of U.S. warfare, where machines controlled by artificial intelligence to a large degree, sometimes operating in swarms of land, air, and sea, weapons will be attacking another country, other people will be sitting out in ships or in the United States controlling these things to, or to let them control themselves. Mm-hmm. The other side, the Chinese or the Russians or whomever, they may develop machines to, to respond to our machine. But in the end, wars are won because human beings suffer and, and, and suffer unbearably because they die. And so these machines aren't going to, the war isn't going to be over when the machines agree that they're over with. The war's going to be over when one side's machines fail and the other side's machines attack the humans on the other side of it. Very good. And, and so this is not going to be a, a nice, clean, happy ending. I just want to say, when you think about what's going on with climate change, and then you see governments building more weaponry, you have to say, there's just too many insane people, mostly men, in charge of these governments. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it's really, really extraordinary that we're in a point 
when all of the future is known about climate change, and yet we can be putting more money without a care in the United States into the military because the government has scared the hell out of people rather than into trying to prevent ourselves from just being destroyed and, and the environment being destroyed by heat. That's where we're at. No doubt. And I think there's a real difference between defending the national security of our country. If we were under attack, then war is justifiable in self-defense and to the security of our country. The fact that all of these conflicts are not associated with that type of situation and their wars of choice, these unjust wars, makes it so untenable. With that being said, we're out of time, but I did want Nick to to ask you if people want more detailed information about what you've been alluding to about the drone warfare and and, and those types of things. Can you share a website that they can uh, access that information with? Sure. Yes, the the website is it's very simple, bankillerdrones.org. Okay, very good. You Could sa- I respond to just one thing, Pedro? Sure, please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, when you talk about defense, people do. I've I've done speaking tours in Texas. We did a walk down there a number of years ago. Yeah, people people said to us, well, they're attacking us, so we have to defend ourselves. Well, the people who want to come here and attack us, that's predicated on the fact that we have been attacking them for so many years to get oil and other things out of the Middle East. So if we hadn't been doing that, those folks wouldn't even have thought about coming over here. They'd be minding their own business, enjoying their lives. Mm -hmm. So if you want to undertake these international conquests on behalf of various corporations and individuals, then you have to expect that people are going to fight back. And that's basically what's been going on here. Right. Well, we've had a complete suppression of our activities throughout the world, and it's a complete rewrite of history that 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 we're taught. So the American public don't know that. And if the American public did know that and did know everything as much about Vietnam as Ellsberg knew or as much as about Afghanistan, as revealed in the Afghan papers and that it was the United States that started it when it came to the Syrian conflict, and that it was United States allies and not Assad, and therefore the United States that was responsible for the horrific gas attacks in El Golta, Syria, in August of 2013. And it was the United States that started it by cooing out the government in the Ukraine, not the Russians. If they knew all these gross misrepresentations and our primary responsibility for these unjust wars in Iraq and in Libya that have resulted in in unimaginable carnage, largely kept from the view of U.S. public news consumers, then they could see and understand their perceived basis for such rage in countries where they see their loved ones perish from whether they're drone attacks or whether they're just aerial bombings or other forms of horrific warfare. Nick, thank you so much for your time. We are out of time, and we will look forward to following your work and to continue our, our our own education on this drone warfare. You bet. Thank you. We look forward to learning together into the future. See you next week. Coming up next, do not go anywhere unless you're not on KOOP.org right now. Switch on over to the internet if you're on the FM dial to hear Emo Diaries with co-op's very own Stephanie at the Disco. I can't wait. And as we go out, just another reminder, please take a moment to appreciate indigenous peoples everywhere 
especially here in the United States, where Native Americans suffer the harshest forms of systemic racism in our culture today. So in a world in which so few have so much and so many have so little, we dedicate this show in celebration of Indigenous Day and Indigenous people everywhere. And we go out, as we do every week, with Land of Naivety. No 